This podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And in this episode, we're going to be covering the physical side of the Abattoir 2021 Horror Movie Festival. From the 2nd to the 7th of November, we were both at Abattoir Horror Movie Festival in the lovely town of Aberystwyth. So Hayley's going to jump in to give you a little bit about Aberystwyth, uh, but a few facts about it and how the festival came to be and that sort of thing. Okay, so the Abattoir Horror Festival has been running for 16 years. It's always um, taken place at the Aberystwyth Art Centre, um, except for last year while we were in lockdown. The festival went completely virtual. But this year we were back in person and we were in a new location. We were in the theatre part of the Art Centre. So it was a bit of a different vibe, but it was so great to be back enjoying some great movies amongst the festival audience in a physical setting once again. So Abattoir is run by three organisers, Gaz Bailey, Nia Edwards-Bahey and Rhys Fowler. And they've all been running it for the entirety of those 16 years. And I can't believe it's been 16 years. That's just crazy of how successful and how it's grown. It's been great to kind of see that over the years. And this year was, you know, exceptional with the quality of films. Some obviously didn't quite land with us, but, you know, we're going to have a variety to talk about in this section. Yeah, we're not going to talk about absolutely everything that's screened because we'd be here for hours. We're going to pick and choose some of the highlights and probably some of the lowlights of the festival. But we are going to start right at the very beginning of the festival with the first movie that was shown. It was a Welsh language horror that had the English title of The Feast. As for the Welsh language title, I think I'm going to pass over to Hayley to give you that one. Okay, so The Feast translates to Gwledd. It's directed by Lee Haven Jones, and I believe Abattoir is the only horror movie festival that has shown it, so that's really exciting. I think this was a very strong opening film, and it was probably one of my favourite films of the entire festival. Now, as for synopsises, we are not going to go to our go-to guy, Nick Reganis, for this one. We are actually going to consult the fantastic abattoir brochure which has descriptions of all the movies showing so i'll just give you a little bit of background on what gwlyd is all about and then we will discuss further gwlyd is told over the course of one evening as a wealthy family gathers for a sumptuous dinner party in their ostentatious house in the welsh mountains the guests are a local businessman and a neighboring farmer with the intent to secure 
a business deal to mine in the surrounding countryside. When a mysterious young woman arrives to be their waitress for the evening, the family's beliefs and values are challenged as her quiet yet disturbing presence begins to unravel their lives, slowly, deliberately, and with the most terrifying consequences. Yeah, pretty good synopsis, that. As you said, Strong Starts the Festival. It starts off as kind of a weird family drama and then slides into folk horror as you progress during the story. It's one of those movies where you kind of think it's going to be a slow burn and to a certain extent it is a bit of a slow burn but whereas a lot of slow burns leave all of its nasty stuff until the very end of say maybe 90 minutes this starts to get nasty reasonably quickly and continues to be nasty throughout so it's got uh, more gore than you'd expect it's not kind of a wash with it but it's certainly a lot more confrontational than you probably expect but that's a good thing and it does have some characters where you're quite happy to see them put under stress and terrorized because basically it's about a politician and he's not a very nice guy and the people he invites around and his friends they're not you know they're not very nice either i mean you have got a couple of sympathetic characters but the prognosis isn't all that great for them either yeah I agree with you there. It's a slow burn and it's kind of rooted in Welsh mythology, um, namely the Mabinogi and kind of like stories from when like I grew up and things like um, Bloody with. It's got things incorporated in, but it's done it in a modern setting. And I would, you know, arguably say this is a bit of art house horror, which would usually put me off, but... This has something about it. I think it's just um, so well directed, so well shot. It builds up so much tension throughout it because you're kind of stuck in this one location. So it's a bit of a pressure cooker. And you've got these really strange characters and you're quite interested to see where it's going to unfold. As you say, the characters are mainly very unlikable, but they have enough going for them that you just want to see this family dynamic implode throughout the course of the movie. The maybe three courses of the movie or was it four i can't remember they had sort of like appetizers and then went on to rabbit and god knows what <laughs> yeah if you if you don't like seeing rabbits skinned then there's probably a bit of the movie that you're gonna have to look away none of it's gratuitous i mean the violence is pretty nasty but there's a lot that's suggested about it as well which is quite skillfully done the performances are really good the writing is excellent it's really well paced this was a really, really strong start. And there was a little bit of a discussion afterwards about um, whether to shoot movies in both Welsh and English language versions. Well, to be honest, I mean, horror movie fans watch so much stuff from around the world that's subtitled. I don't really think there's any reason to have anything that's that's an anglicised version of a Welsh language movie. We can all read subtitles. Yeah, definitely. I think that with this movie in particular, it is probably one of the most, the strongest like Welsh horror movies I've ever seen. And as a Welsh person and a horror fan, I would definitely like to see more genre films coming out. I mean, we have had films like the Ramam Dawiad and the Atavadgeth, like more kind of thrillers on that side of things. But this was the most profoundly horror that I've seen um, from my country. And it's been doing very well. It's like, you know, um, screened over in America and different things. So it is getting out there, which is brilliant. But I would definitely like to see more of this, especially in, you know, my language. 
and I think I think it's it worked really well. And again, as you say, performances were really engaging. It was just a very very strong movie, and the director and writer were saying that they wanted to create a genre film, but they wanted it to be a film where non-genre fans could enjoy it too. And I think they've definitely achieved that. Yeah, I think if you're not a big horror fan, there are certain things about it that are going to set you on edge. But I don't think you have to be a massive horror fan to get into the story. Arguably, some of the stuff that happens. Well, if you're a bit squeamish at the sight of blood, there's a couple of sequences in it that you probably are going to be watching through your fingers. But overall, I mean, it's not it's not what I would call an extreme horror film. It's certainly horror. But I think it will play reasonably well to non-horror audiences because of the way it's structured and because of the performances. It's almost like a one-location play with some horror elements in it. It's only really in the second half that the folk horror really kicks in. And even then, it's not your usual folk horror, but I can't really spoil too much if you want to go see it. Yeah, definitely going a bit blind not knowing what you're going to get. Yeah. I think that's definitely advice. And I think that's advisable for most of the movies we're going to talk about. Sure, yeah. I mean, certainly it's going to be the case for the next one we're going to talk about, which is Perry Blackshear's When I Consume You which screened second. Now, if you don't know the movies of Perry Blackshear, he did uh, They Look Like People uh, in 2015, and then he went on to do The Siren, which was also called The Rosalka. I'm a massive fan of Perry Blackshear's movies, so you probably know where I'm going to land on this one. But but what's it about without spoiling too much? Okay, so again, I'm going to consult trusty Avatar brochure because I think nobody can describe these films better than the festival themselves. Siblings Daphne and Wilson Shaw have protected each other from everything life has thrown their way. Daphne's professional life is soaring and she's looking to adopt a child. Wilson is interviewing for a position at a local school, hoping to become a teacher. But Daphne has an unsettling, dangerous stalker whom she can't seem to shake and now threatens to destroy them both. They hunt for their tormentor through the shadowy streets of Brooklyn, honing their bodies and minds for a showdown. But this foe may prove to be more than they can handle. They will break and rebuild themselves if necessary to save each other, if only they can persevere. See, that synopsis gives absolutely nothing away about how where the movie goes, because you kind of think, oh, it's going to be like a bit of a revenger, a bit of kind of a thriller, sort of, you know, your standard almost like, almost like Death Wish, that sort of movie. It's nothing like that. And it goes off in directions that you don't expect. And it bridges the gap between very, very indie sensibility, but also quite mainstream sort of horror stroke, action stroke, thriller tropes as well. So I think people who have seen Perry Blackshear's other movies might be a bit thrown by this one. I do know that people have said, oh, it's a bit too mainstream for a Perry Blackshear movie. This this is not a mainstream movie. I think it's edging towards it and there are some elements in there, but it is not a mainstream movie, this. I absolutely love this movie. I've seen it three times. It's going to be in my top ten of the year. I cannot get enough of it. That He's so good at writing relationships. Perry Blackshear, it, just everything rings true about the brother-sister dynamic in this movie. And even if it goes off in some weird directions, you still get this relationship at the centre pulling you back to it. And I have to mention... McLeod Andrews in this movie. McLeod Andrews' performance in this movie is so good and he looks like he was having the best time. It's such a... 
I mean, I was going to say it's a joyous performance, but I mean, I guess it is in some ways, but without spoiling it too much, he's not a particularly joyous character. Oh, in some ways he is, but, you know, I'm trying to time not to tie myself in knots about it. But let's just say McLeod is great in this movie. He's, I mean, he's great in pretty much everything, but he's particularly good in this. He is indeed. I found this movie very surprising. I think, as you say, that it doesn't go in directions that you expect. And I think there was something quite startling that happens almost near the beginning that I was like, oh, okay, this is not what I saw coming. Where's this going? So I liked that it kept up that level of suspense throughout it. And as you say, at the core of this film, you have the brother and sister relationship. And, you know, I really did invest in their characters and felt a lot of empathy, particularly for... Um, Wilson the brother he was like so vulnerable and you just like I don't know felt really like sorry for him the entire time that, that's kind of how I felt and you just wanted something good to happen but obviously we won't say it. and this movie has so many like creepy moments like quite subtly creepy as well and it's just some of the imagery in it will stay with you and some of it's really really simply done as well there's not massive jump scares all of the time it's just the atmosphere there's one point where something appears in shot not tell you what it is it's something that you don't expect to appear in shot at a particular time and it's not trying to make you jump out of your seat but at the same time you're not really sure what's going on and you think oh that's that's a little bit unnerving these things all do get explained and i think people will be thrown by some of the movie i think it it heads into a, a more traditional horror territory in the final act to resolve everything. And I think I think if there's a problem people are going to have with this movie is that they're going to think it's not one or the other, that it's not, it's not indie enough and it's not mainstream enough. I didn't have that sort of problem with this movie because I think everything hangs together and hangs together better after you've seen it three times because the first time I was basically, I think I loved that movie, but was it because I just love Perry Blackshear's movies and I was going in with a bit of bias? After having seen it three times, no, there's no bias. It's a tremendous movie. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I definitely would like to rewatch it at some point because there is a lot to take in and I'm wondering if I'll like spot different things on a rewatch. But to me, it's very much an indie movie in how it's kind of shot. It has that low budget quality in a good way. But, yeah, it doesn't seem to be a mainstream blockbuster. Like, say you've got something like Halloween Kills or maybe Scream, something like that. It's not going to be that kind of movie. It's a lot more subtle and unnerving and it gets under the skin quite easily. It's that sort of film. So don't expect anything kind of really, like, over the top or anything like that. This, this movie is very much a character-driven story with really unnerving elements. Definitely agree with all of that. So from the sublime to the ridiculous, because we're now going to deal with one of the movies in the Frankenstein thread that appeared in Abattoir this year. There were four Frankenstein movies. We had Curse of Frankenstein, which is absolutely brilliant. The 1957 Peter Cushing movie. If you haven't seen Curse of Frankenstein, I would urge you to see it. It's so good. Then we also got the sequel, The Revenge of Frankenstein, a bit later we got um, the 3D version of Paul Morris's Flesh for Frankenstein, which was astonishing in its actual 3D. I loved it so much. But what we're going to talk about this time is 
Jess Franco's The Erotic Rights of Frankenstein, a movie which I'm sure bewildered quite a lot of the audience. <laughs> so this was a bit of a movie challenge, a mini movie challenge for this episode. Um, I agreed to go and watch this, predominantly for the purpose of this podcast. I've only ever seen two Jess Franco movies prior to this, so I won't say like I'm overly familiar with his body of work, but you know I get the gist of his his style and and kind of what to expect. Just for reference, the movies I have seen of his other than this are Female Vampire and Bloody Moon, just to give you a bit of context. So I'm just going to read the synopsis again for this one, and then we will kind of discuss this uh, bizarre piece of film. (laughs) After the death of Victor Frankenstein, two figures vie for control of his metallic-skinned monster, the scientist's daughter, Vera, and the immortal wizard, Caglistoro? Caliostro. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Who is assisted by a bird woman with an unquenchable thirst for blood. I don't think I'm going to get through reading the synopsis of that. (laughs) Uh, Veterans of Avatar know we have a soft spot for Jess Franco, that Spanish master of Eurosleaves and crash zooms. Anyone expecting high art and sophistication should turn away now as erotic writers prime Franco at his best. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, if you are expecting high art, you're not going to get it in this movie. I'm probably one of the only people that enjoyed Erotic Rights of Frankenstein when it was screened. I absolutely love this movie. And not because it's any good. It's absolutely crackers from start to finish this movie. As you said, like this, you've got this mesmerist who is controlling the Frankenstein monster with his mind and his sidekick is this bird woman who goes around slashing people with her talons. It's absolutely bonkers from start to finish. And it takes characters from Bram Stoker's and Mary Shelley's texts and then just puts them in the weirdest situations possible. So if anybody is a big fan of the original text, they're going to fucking hate this movie. (laughs) So for me... I was expecting this to be very much an audience movie and it just didn't feel like it because nobody was really reacting. I guess, as you say, people were probably a bit stunned, like sitting there going, what is this movie? And I think if there'd been a bit more audience participation, it might have kind of landed better with me. But it, yeah, it's it's full of really quirky, bizarre imagery and just nonsensical like plots and everything. And I mean, the bird woman is hilarious. She's essentially this woman walking around in the nude and she's got these like weird feathers stuck to her. And then the Frankenstein monster just is somebody with just like, is like metallic paint basically on them. And then there's like these weird kind of skeleton creature things that look like they've just found these masks in Poundland or somewhere. It's like some dodgy Halloween masks. It's like you cannot take this movie seriously. It's very much of its own ilk, I suppose. If if you like Jess Franco movies, you know, this is going to be for you. But I think when you're showing this to maybe a more like, well, mainstream audience, I don't think would appreciate it whatsoever. A genre audience, I still think you have to have this acquired taste. Like, I mean, I didn't hate it in any way. I just thought it was very odd. Like, it's called The Erotic Rights of Frankenstein, and there's not really any eroticism in it. There's a bit of nudity. There's kind of suggestion, but there's nothing like all out kind of softcore in it or anything like that. It's So I think if you were hoping for something a bit sexy, you're not going to get that either. That's very true. For a movie that's called Erotic Rights, it's resolutely unerotic. 
there's not really much to titillate you in this. I mean, it's got, got to a point where there's so much nudity in this, you just tend to ignore it after about the first 25 minutes. It is absolutely crackers, this movie. It's just one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. Even by Franco's standards, this is a strange movie. And it came off the back of him doing a, a fairly straight-down-the-line adaptation of Dracula, and I don't think it went down particularly well. And that might have been the reason that he did this. And the previous movie to it, Dracula, Prisoner of Frankenstein, which isn't quite as mad as this, but it's it's heading that way. So I think that when he tried to do something that was literal and nobody liked it, he just thought, right, I'm just going to throw the rule book out of the window now and I'll just do whatever I like. I mean, my favourite character is obviously, it's Melissa, the bird woman, because she communicates in tweets not the twitter type she actually tweets and she just tears the throats and faces off people um, at random just because she likes murdering people basically but because it's jess franco there's nothing gory about it you might see a little bit of stage blood chucked about but there's nothing in terms of violence that you could find offensive in this and i think i did hear somebody coming out of erotic rights using the classic line what the hell did i just watch which is a fair enough point. <laughs> yeah, it's not offensive anyway. It was just a bit odd. Yeah, I mean, I wonder what, like, the people making that film, what must have been going through their heads when they were making it, and then what they thought of it, if they watched it later on, thought, why the hell did I do this bonkers movie? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got um, Dennis Price in it, um, who appeared in some of the Hammer movies as well. And Dennis Price, giving spoilers away, but, I mean... <laughs> Is it much of a spoiler? Because the rest of it's so weird, you still won't know where it's going. Dennis Price plays Frankenstein, but he dies early on in the movie. But they keep reviving him to tap into his memories. So every so often you get somebody going back to his laboratory and then putting like however many thousand volts through him. And then Dennis Price's character revives for a bit to tell you a bit more of the plot and then dies again. God knows what Dennis Price thought when he was doing this. He probably was only on set for a couple of days because he probably filmed all this stuff at once. It's just a glimpse into Jess Franco's very strange world. I can't imagine watching this film anywhere other than Abattoir. This is not the movie I would put on like at home when I just fancied to watching something. This is definitely an audience movie, even though I don't think the audience knew quite what they were watching. Yeah, I think you're right about the audience. I think if there'd have been a bit more participation, I think it would have been an absolute riot. But equally, you're right about the fact that people were probably watching it and just thinking, what the hell's going on? Because for most of the 75 minutes... That is pretty much the reaction because, yeah, there's kind of a plot, but it's not very linear and there's not an awful lot that happens. And then random events are thrown into the mix. And you're right, there's those people that look like skeletons. And, I mean, they're around the castle and they're obviously followers of Cagliostro, but it's never sufficiently explained as to why they're there. They just show up for certain things. It's almost like Cagliostro will, will do something that's... Um, it's almost like a, a weird version of gladiators, that Cagliostro sets up some task where his prisoners get something nasty done to them and then you get all this audience coming and cheering him on. It's like, well, why? Why are they there? It's never explained. Quite, like quite a lot of erotic rites of Frankenstein, most of the stuff just happens and there's no rhyme or reason to it it's just like there you go this is what's happening next and i love the fact that it's just completely random but i know a lot of people 
certainly won't. Yeah, it's one of those very baffling movies, but it, it has some sort of unique charm going for it as well. Something of slightly better quality we're going to talk about next. It's uh, the Japanese sci-fi comedy Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, which kind of doesn't fit with Abattoir apart from the fact that it's probably a distant cousin to something like One Cut of the Dead. But in terms of it being a horror movie, it isn't really. It's very gentle. It's fun. But it, what it does have going for it, it's got a really, really great plot, which it kind of takes to its nth degree about time travel. Basically, very, very, very close time travel in the fact that it's not going to... We're not thousands of years into the future or the past. We're, we're Well, we're beyond the two minutes, basically. I adored this movie. Even though it's not horror, I really, really enjoyed it. So... Just to give a brief overview of plot again from the brochure, cafe owner Kato discovers that his PC monitor shows what will happen two minutes into the future. Another screen downstairs in his cafe shows the past of two minutes ago. His friends decide to place the two mysterious devices opposite each other, which creates a loop to see them to the future. Naturally, chaos ensues. So, yeah. <laughs> it does. Chaos does ensue quite quickly as well. But it's it's a really sweet comedy about... What would you do if you could see into the future? And how would you use it to your advantage? And it plays out in some ways you'd expect, but some ways you wouldn't. Yeah, there's nothing too mean-spirited in this at all. It is very fun and playful and charming. The characters are really witty and funny throughout as well. There's a lot of like likability about them. It's really entertaining and it's so clever. Like it was just brilliantly clever. And I think that's what I enjoyed about it so much. I mean, I've seen it twice now. And I think you probably do need to see it twice just to work out everything that's going on. The amount of preparation that they must have had to go through because there's things happening in the past. There's things happening in the present. There's things happening in the future. But then you will see things again from a perspective of the future now being the present and then them looking back into the past and then and then forward into the further future and it's if it's as confusing as all of that sounds it isn't the movie does explain so you will see things on screens that haven't happened yet but then a few minutes into the movie then they will happen in the present so you've just got all these things going on at the same time which is extremely clever but it doesn't forget that it has to be funny as well and that you have to care for the characters. So it's smart without being smart asked. I think that perfectly sums it up. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Now, it's definitely one, again, that is accessible to people that aren't necessarily like horror fans, genre fans. It's um, just got something a bit, it's a bit different. It's a, a lot of fun. It's, again, an audience movie very much as well. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. Uh, there's some big laughs in there as well. They even get to the point where, even though they're going backwards and forwards in time, they still use it to play pranks on each other, which leads to a pretty good joke, which I'm not going to spoil. But, I mean, both times there's a particular point in the movie where there's a prank played. I've burst out laughing both times I've seen it because it's such a good gag. Yeah, again, this is one to go into best unspoiled because that's when you'll get the best experience with it. Yeah. So we can't really say an awful lot more about it, other than say it, because it's a brilliant movie. It's, it's lovely and it's really intelligent as well. It gives you the same sort of feeling as One Cut of the Dead after you've seen it. It's like, how the hell did they work all of that out? Because it is 
so complicated and yet so accessible at the same time. So on to something a little bit more mysterious now. And it's a movie that I saw at Celluloid, but also played Abattoir. It's the conspiracy mystery thriller broadcast signal intrusion. This is a movie I was really looking forward to seeing because um, it's set in the late 90s. It has a mystery to it and it's all about like conspiracy theory. So that's all the kind of things I love. And this didn't disappoint. It was very much a slow burning, brooding thriller that had some really startling, unnerving imagery in it as well. So there was a post-film Q&A with um, Giles Edwards who produced it and he mentioned the background of the film was based in that there was an episode of Doctor Who that screened, I think, in the 80s or 90s, and it was intercut with some sort of, like, person ranting or something like that, and it just happened and then went back to the episode. Now, that's crazy because it's, like, just the idea of something, like, infiltrating a broadcast. So it kind of takes that basic premise and does something really quite sinister with it so if you're kind of like a bit unnerved by the uncanny valley and animatronics that sort of thing this is likely to get under your skin because it is very disturbing because it's this guy watching these intrusions and he doesn't know where they're coming from what it all means and all he's faced with is just this really disturbing kind of image in front of him and the thought that it's linked to some murders that have taken place as well. And also there's a mystery surrounding either the death or disappearance of his wife. We're not quite sure. It's a film that definitely leaves a lot up to interpretation. And I think it probably deserves a second viewing because, again, it's one of those, there's a lot to take on board. But yeah, it's a bit of a like neo-noir in some ways as well. It's got lots of different components, but... Yeah, very, very strong, you know, very, very likeable movie. I really, really enjoyed it. I gave it a solid four, I think, because it wasn't like my favourite. It didn't like absolutely blow me away, but I thought what it did was really well done. I'm in agreement with that as well. And I don't think we need to synopsize this one because, again, I think if you give too much away, I mean, I think even the synopsis would probably give stuff away. So I think we've gone just about far enough. I think the main bone of contention, certainly for the audience at Celluloid and maybe for the audience at Abattoir, was the very end of the movie. And without giving too much away, it heads in a direction that you probably don't quite expect, but then leaves you with a conclusion that you probably don't quite expect either. So I think some people left a little bit unsatisfied with the ending. Personally, I think it does fit the rest of the movie because it is all about investigation and drawing conclusions. So I can understand why people thought that it needed to nail a few things down a bit more. But in another way, that's not really the purpose of the movie because it's all about mystery and it's all about interpretation. So I was fine with the end of it, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I I didn't mind it as well because it it leaves it open-ended and it makes you think and you like a movie that keeps you talking after and it's like that thought-provoking effect. Yeah, it didn't bother me at all, but I I think as the producer had said, you don't want everything explained to you either. Exactly. There's no no point because that's the whole point of conspiracy theory because nobody ever truly knows and it's so much fun to kind of fall down that rabbit hole and like delve into different theories about something and it just plays with your mind 
and I think it would kind of lose its um well its its power and its intrigue if everything was just handed on a plate and there was all this exposition so yeah I like how it turned out and I don't have a problem with um, the ending whatsoever yeah absolutely and I think it's well worth a watch uh, but we'll just we'll leave it without giving too much away because there's quite a lot to discover in the movie so we won't be dropping massive hints about what goes on moving on to something that's a lot more straightforward and is a remake of a beloved slasher movie well beloved by me anyway i love the original it's the new version of slumber party massacre this time directed by Danishka Esterhazy, who also gave us the Banana Splits movie. That was a brilliant movie. <laughs> I love Banana Splits. And equally, did enjoy this Slumber Party Massacre remake. So I think with Slumber Party Massacre, if you're a genre fan, it is one of the most well-known slashers. But I think if you're mainstream, it's one that kind of gets overlooked. Like, it's never kind of up there with your Halloweens or your Friday the 13th. But it is very much beloved by genre fans. And it has got a little bit of a franchise of its own. This movie was a UK premiere. I'll just give a quick overview of the synopsis. But I think it kind of speaks <laughs> for itself, more or less. A slumber party turns into a bloodbath when a psychopath wielding a power drill disrupts the fun. Slumber Party Massacre is a reimagining of Amy Holden Jones's 1982 classic. You might be thinking what we normally think when we see the word reimagining, not again, but Slumber Party Massacre is a surprising delight from start to finish, bringing the subversive spirit of the original along for a brand new ride, and subversive it definitely is. I think there's nothing like groundbreaking in this film or anything like too different if you're into the slasher genre. I think the slasher subgenre has been done and done again, but this movie is fun and it's really playful. It doesn't take itself too seriously at all. And when it does do like subversive moments, it does them really well and it guarantees a chuckle from the audience. It reverses the tropes quite nicely because all the stuff you'd expect the guys to be doing in a slasher movie is done by the women. And the guys are generally fairly useless throughout, despite the fact that they get set off to do manly things and then everything goes horribly wrong for them but it goes off in a couple of different directions which is good it's not a slavish retread of the original although it does involve the classic weapon of choice which is the drill it is quite gory but it's not so gory again that you're going to be particularly upset by it and and if you're in for a slasher movie you kind of know what you're going to expect anyway it probably, for me, just throws in one too many turns. The final act, while it's fun, is pretty predictable because it pulls something about 55 minutes in and you think, well, there's half an hour of this to go yet. Where where can it go? And the only thing I could think of was like, well, I can think of one place it could go and it did go there. But having said that, what are you looking for in a slasher movie? Me sitting here and saying that, a slasher movie was a little bit too predictable in its last half, uh, well, the last 25 minutes. I mean, is that a problem? It probably isn't, really, because, I mean, I'm not looking for Shakespeare in slasher movies. And this pretty much delivers. It's got plenty of kills and it's got plenty of jokes and it, it moves along at a fair old clip. I think it's only about 86 minutes long, something like that. So it doesn't outstay its welcome. I mean, the worst thing is if you come into a slasher movie and you look at the runtime, it's like 110 minutes and you think... That's 20 minutes too long. 
but this isn't. I mean, it just it gets in there. It gives you a bit of a good time. There's plenty of gory kills. There's a few laughs. There's a couple of twists. You know, it's fine. There's a midnight movie. Couldn't really go far wrong. Yeah, I think it played perfectly in that midnight movie slot. When Nia introduced it, she said, like, just switch your brain off with this one. And that's exactly what you need to do. I think after, like, a long, grueling day of movie watching, you need something like this to kind of, you know, set the tone for the evening and just to, you know, have a... It's a bit of a feel-good horror movie. I say There's some movies there that you don't take too seriously. You have a good time with them, as you said. And, yeah, again, it's very twisty and turny. And it does subversive things, but also it does kind of homage the tro- the traditional tropes of slasher movies as well. So it's it's a good mix. Again, this went under the radar a bit, because as I say, it's not one of the big Hollywood remakes, but it, it is a fun one, and I think it does really well. And I noticed at the start, he said it was a sci-fi original. Now, normally when I see that at the start of a movie, I think, oh, Christ, this is going to be <laughs> terrible. Because, I mean, sci-fi originals, the bar's not that high. But this is a pretty good one. So if you see sci-fi original on the front of this, and you just think, this is going to be a slog. It isn't. It isn't a slog at all. It's quite fun. And you won't get bored. You're probably not going to come out of it thinking that's the best slasher movie I've ever seen. Probably not. But it's way above quite a lot of slasher movies. I mean, personally, the most boring slasher movie I have ever seen is Final Exam. Now, this is so far above Final Exam that it's just not funny. So definitely watch it if you're into slasher movies. Just don't raise your expectations too high and you'll get a lot out of it. Which leads us on to another horror movie. This one is purposely bad and formed part of well, the, the strand that is called the Bad Film Club. Now, there's going to be another Bad Film Club at the virtual festival, but there was the welcome return of Nico and Joe for this year's physical festival. And keeping with the Frankenstein theme, we were treated to the magnum opus that is Frankenfish. I had never heard of Frankenfish before. It's a 2004 movie and somebody is going to give a synopsis for this movie and that somebody is Nick Reganis. Hey, well done, Nick. Yeah, we have to get him in here somehow. <laughs> so, Because obviously there's no synopsis for this in the brochure because it's yeah. all a mystery when you get Nico and Joe. Something is lurking in the murky waters of Louisiana's swamplands, killing the unsuspecting locals, and medical examiner Sam Rivers and biologist Mary Callahan embark on a mission to shed light on the mystery. But before long, another devastating attack leaves the team of investigators trapped in the hostile environment, fighting to survive the relentlessness onslaught of the methodical adversary. Now, blood stains the marshes, What's terrorising the bayou? Yeah, what's terrorising the bayou? Dreadful script, for starters, and some fairly (laughs) shonky acting as well, in addition to the CGI monsters. They don't call it Bad Film Club for nothing. And to be honest, there's stuff about this movie that's not terrible. It's really competently made. It's really nicely shot. But at the end of the day, it is crap. It's just one of those like typical early 2000s B movies, like creature features. It was really entertaining, but that was probably helped by the commentary because Nico and Joe are hilarious and they're always like improvising. I just don't know how they do it. It's just they're just really quick fire funny. 
And I just think this movie was entertaining. I mean, there was some random nudity in it that they were like pointing out um, involving fruit. And it was just like so baffling. And I think it's one of those where the deaths are particularly predictable. You can kind of see them coming. But watching it in that setting, just like laughing along with everybody was just absolutely great. Yeah, I think it, it ups the entertainment value when you've got people taking the piss out of it. Because I think if you had been plonked in front of Fra- Frank and Fish in your own front room and just been told to watch it and you just sat there watching it on your own, it doesn't run very long. But even so, I think it would have felt like a long movie to just been sat there trying to get through it. Having it as Bad Film Club, it gave it a second life it probably didn't deserve. I did agree with them that there's a character in there called Dan and Dan is the best character in the movie because, as they say, Dan is how the rest of the audience will be in that movie. He's cynical and he's just commenting on how stupid everybody else is and how everybody else is putting each other in danger. That's one good thing about the movie. So Dan is quite a good character. Uh, actually, one of the characters that you think is going to survive gets killed off fairly early on because I thought that um, Miss Marine Biologist will make it a lot further than she does. She gets taken out by virtue of a fairly unfortunate accident. But it was the only surprising bit of the movie. And it was, I'd seen it before, but it was so forgettable. I hadn't remembered that she'd got killed off like about 50 minutes into the movie. Because to be quite honest, I mean, if you see this without a commentary, yeah, basically don't give a shit about any of them so so i mean it wasn't like i was thinking oh yeah frankenfish i remembered i'd seen it but i'd only remembered about probably about 10 minutes of it because a lot of it was playing and i was thinking oh yeah i can vaguely remember this happening but it was nothing that stuck in my mind when it first was screened in fact i don't even remember where i saw it it was probably was it on sci-fi or something i don't i don't even remember where i saw it but i just remembered i'd seen it once and most of it had fallen out of my brain definitely it has that sci-fi channel vibes to it for sure and yeah the marine biologist her death is very final destination i thought (laughs) it just kind of launches at you but yeah you know it was good fun and I think yeah I have a better kind of view of this movie because I experienced it in Bad Film Club compared to like say if we decided to do it for the podcast and under a normal setting I'd have probably found it a bit of a slog yeah but yeah so I think Bad Film Club seems to uncover these gems but obviously they add that extra hilarious layer to the experience of watching it yeah, if it had been on the podcast as an episode, we'd have just spent 25 minutes complaining about it. It had been like Shark and Saw Women's Prison Massacre. Not, probably not quite as bad as that, but we'd have been just moaning about how terrible it was for the entire episode. So at least this, you get a laugh out of it. Moving on from the high watermark that it was clearly Frankenfish. Something, <laughs> something that uh, maybe this movie aspires to be Frankenfish one day but it has got a few good reviews and you know I've seen it a couple of times and you know it isn't a bad little movie it's uh, Prano Bailey Bond's Censor. Oh Censor again a Welsh based horror film because uh, Prano Bailey Bond is actually from Aberystwyth which is really really cool to know that there is a female horror director from my hometown so I feel very proud of that fact. I watched Censor in cinemas a few months ago and I thought it was brilliant. It was the first horror film that I went back to seeing in the cinema as well and I'm so glad 
it was that film because it's not you know a mainstream offering it's very much an in independent film and it's very much a genre film especially um if you're interested in the video nasties and the mystique of the video nasties and it's a really cleverly crafted thriller and it's got a excellent central performance and again it's one that makes you think so what does the brochure say about it or is it too spoilery well let's give it a go britain 1985 when film censor enid discovers an eerie horror that speaks directly to her sister's mysterious disappearance she revolves to unravel the puzzle behind the film and its enigmatic director a quest that will blur the lines between fiction and reality in terrifying ways. I think that's quite a good synopsis. It doesn't reveal too much about it, it just gives you the, the general gist. Yeah, and as a psychological thriller, it really, really does work. The backdrop of the video analysis means that they're able to play around with the visual style of the movie. So when Enid's psyche starts to crack a bit, you get that kind of video fuzz and it switches between different types of media. It's all shot really beautifully. The colour scheme on it is stunning. It's kind of like, I mean, I don't want to bring in Argento because that is taken away from Prano Bailey Bond's style. But yeah, I kind of got that Suspiria vibe with some of the colour schemes. It looks beautiful. As you say, the central performance by Neve Olga is amazing. She's absolutely astonishing. And she's supported by a really good cast. Most notably, Michael Smiley as the creepiest producer ever to walk the earth he's horrible in this movie everything he says just makes your skin crawl absolutely what happens to his character i won't say but it is quite satisfying <laughs> we're so careful here talking about these movies yeah i think sensor is just such an accomplished film and you say as it looks really good it really captures that kind of old vhs 80s vibe it's got a great colour palette. I mean, I'm sure um, Prono Bailey Bond will appreciate the Argento comparison because, you know, he is one of the greats of horror. I mean, I'm not sure if she is a fan of his work, but we're just assuming here. I think I'd love to watch this movie again, and I think I will definitely purchase it when it does get a wider release. And I hope mainstream audiences do appreciate it because, again, it kind of moves away from that blockbustery vibe of horror. It's not your typical Saw or Halloween or anything like that. It is a very kind of slow-burning, classic, beautifully shot, well-acted mystery. Yeah. And it's rooted in the reality of the video nasties and what video shop owners went through it at that time and, and what it must have been like for these people, like censoring these movies, having to like sit through like hours and hours of these types of movies and this footage and what that must have like done to them psychologically. I think it's just fascinating. Yeah, and it's got a good grasp of the period. As you say, there's a point where Enid goes to see a, a guy who works in a video shop and she basically harasses him into giving her a, a copy of a video that's under the counter almost under threat of saying, well, I'm going to dob you in if you don't give me this video. And I'm sure that was happening across the country. And there was various states of civil unrest at the time. So it was a very unsettling period. And it was a point where the government was trying to crack down on certain things, videos being one of them. And I think it's got a really good grip. Without hitting you overhead with, with how the politics were, it does subtly give you a nudge as to how the sort of mid-80s were in terms of what it was like living in this country at the time. Also, 
it's deeply unsettling without it having a ton of gore in it because you think our oh, movie set around the video nasties era it's going to be really really gory it isn't you know there are a couple of moments that are a bit bloodthirsty but as a rule censor is more interested in psychological terror which is all the more disturbing to be perfectly honest and having seen it again i think you get a lot more out of it on a repeat viewing because i think you're trying to get your head around the way that it's structured and what happens the first time you see it when you know what's coming it doesn't really spoil what's going to happen but you're able to notice what's going on in the background and the other details that they've put in there so it is a movie that rewards repeated watching which is almost the sign of a really great horror movie because i mean it's all right you can you can watch things you know brain off you know like slumber party massacre you could see that a few times but every time you would have to switch your brain off and there's nothing wrong with that at all but with something like sensor you pick something up i would think that every time you see it you notice something different very much like when i consume you i mean i watched that three times and the movie says something different to me every single time it's the same with sensor you spot things that you hadn't noticed on the previous watch which i think is brilliant and again it's easily going to be in my top 10 horror movies of this year. And I mean, I've seen a lot of horror movies this year and it's still going to walk it into the top 10. You heard it here first. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to rewatching Sansa at some point. And, you know, maybe we will do another episode like specifically on that. And we can talk in more depth about it with more spoilers and more interesting discussion there. Yeah, because otherwise I'm just going to go off on one about how great the movie is and about all the details and then um, there's going to be no point you watching it because I'm just going to give everything away. So <laughs> before I start down that route, let's go to the, the last movie of our selection. And it's a movie that um, is a bit divisive and it was kind of divisive at Celluloid and it was very divisive at Abattoir. It's <laughs> Lamb starring Numi Rapaz. And personally, I mean, I... I really liked this movie because I thought it kind of leaned into how absurd it was. Um, and it wasn't something I was expecting. I was expecting something really, really grim and downbeat. And I didn't get that. I got this really odd fable about a woman adopting a lamb as her own kid. Now, th at this point, I think the audience are going to be split. They're either going to go with it or they're not. And I think the people that go with it are fine. But I think the people that don't go with it are not coming back because there's no way you can recover from that. If you're not going to go with it at that point, you're not going to go with it for the rest of the movie because it doesn't it doesn't really try to hook anybody back in there. So I imagine Lamb is going to be a bit of a Marmite movie that people are going to go with it or not. So you're going to get people that thought that was Cobblers or you're going to get people saying, oh, I really, really enjoyed it. And I don't think you're going to get many people in between. Yeah, so Lamb. Lamb was a film that I mulled over whether I was going to see it for a little bit. And the finished product was completely worlds away from what I was actually expecting. As you said, grim and downbeat, disturbing, that kind of thing. It wasn't any of those things for me. It was really well shot. It has beautiful scenery. The beginning of the movie works really well. There's barely any dialogue in it. And you're kind of drawn in by these visuals and what the film is trying to say. And it's, it's not boring in any way. It's really quite engaging. And then the reveal happens. And 
<laughs> I just couldn't take it seriously. And it kind of just goes nowhere. It's 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 a very strange movie. It's yeah, it's one that's really hard to put your finger on. It's not like bad, but mm. it is. I I don't know. I don't know how I kind of feel about Lamb. It's kind of left me lukewarm. And I think maybe because of building so much up with it in my own head and it not being it not meeting the expectations, I think that was the problem. I think if I had gone in not knowing a single thing about it, I would have benefited because I think there was so much talk about, you know, people being upset by it and it being, you know, a, a film that provoked tears and whatever. And I thought I best check into this just to get the contact. I mean, obviously there's animals in this movie and yeah. as you guys know on the podcast, you know, we can be a bit sensitive to animal harm and again, anything to do with children. So I just wanted to be on the safe side. So I watched the trailer and I was like, okay, I'm again, still not sure, but yeah, it was a bit of a ludicrous film. That's all I will say, but I don't want to spoil it. And I think people should go and see it and make their own minds up about it. The reaction has been the same across the board at various festivals because I remember coming out of Lamb at Celluloid in Sheffield and saying that I got quite a lot out of it and the fact that I didn't find it as slow as some people had said and the fact that I was I found it quite immersive. But the guy I was talking to just said, oh, I couldn't get on with it. They could have told it in 25 minutes. It would have been better as a short story. And I I kind of agree with him as well because it could work as a short story. I think for me it works as a longer movie as well, but all the people that said, you know, there's too much going off at the start and there's nothing going off in the middle, I can understand why they say that. It's weird that a movie provokes such diverse and extreme reactions. But in this case, I think everybody's reaction is completely valid because I think it's a movie that's so strange and so weird and so glacially paced and yet if you get into it you actually do go with it and you don't feel the time slipping by but if you don't if you're kicking against it after 30 minutes then it's going to feel like it's running forever which it probably feels like so i thought it was a decent movie and i'd really enjoyed it and i kind of leaned into all the weirdness going off but at the same time if somebody had come out and just said oh hated that movie I'd have said, yeah, I understand why. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't have even had to tell me why they had it for me to understand why, sir. It is, it's just, it's a strange one. Can I recommend it? I don't know. As you've said, it's probably worth seeing just to find out what you feel about it because, yeah, I mean, I talked to various people after seeing it at Sheffield and we got loads and loads of different reactions. Some people liked certain things, some people didn't and, and it was like that across the board, so... I think they've made something that's going to provoke discussion, but is it a good movie? Go figure. <laughs> it might not be. Yeah, I think it's so strange and it does open up so much discussion because it is one of the bizarrest movies I've ever seen. And it's like, is it really genre as such? I mean, who is this movie for? Because I think if you went thinking it was this kind of elevated horror, you mm. know, how some people like they go and watch Midsummer or Hereditary because yeah. they think, oh yeah, it's it's not going to be a typical horror film, there's going to be something more profound about it. I think if people went in with that mindset, I think they're going to get a little bit of a shock. So I was sat next to my mum during this movie and she went to me, is this a comedy? 
So that was quite an interesting point, and you can view it in that yeah. light as well. Yeah, I mean, some of it is meant to be funny. I mean, there are there are gags in this movie. I mean, they're not too many, but but there are points in the movie where you are actually invited to laugh, which was a surprise because I expected an hour and forty of Icelandic grimness, which it doesn't that doesn't come off at all. But yeah, it, it is a just a weird combination of sort of fable and comedy and sort of drama and sort of meditation on loss it's just like you've got all these things fighting for space on the screen and i don't know does it try to do too much or does it not do enough this movie's just left me with so many questions it's tonally uneven i think oh, that's yeah. the thing the way it begins is not how it turns yeah. out i think there's like one scene in it that I think was pretty disturbing and nasty that I, I was like, really like, oh, I hate that mm. that happened. I hope the person that's done this gets their just desserts. I was yeah. kind of, that was coming through my mind at the time. But again, it just, yeah, it's just borders on the uncanny and the bizarre. And it's, yeah, I think, I think people should go and see it because it's one that's so interesting to talk about because they, everyone's just kind of got their own, perception of it and i think that's fantastic i really really like hearing different people's views about it yeah so it's anything from one star to five stars just make your own score up online <laughs> And that's it for episode 44 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to chat with us more about the movies we've discussed, you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Next. Well, we've done the Abattoir Physical Festival, but coming up, it's the Abattoir Virtual Festival, where we're going to be discussing a selection of the movies that are going to be playing online. Yes, so we're going to do very much the same format as we have this one. We're going to discuss some highlights, maybe some lowlights. It's hard to say yet because I don't think I've seen anything playing yet. And we will have another bad film club, which is going to be so much fun. Yeah, wonder what that's going to be. Anyway, until then, stay safe, everybody, and we'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. The HD Movie Podcast theme is written and performed by Mitch Bain. The Abattoir 2021 theme is by Della Morte. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean and other podcast providers. <laughs>